Hello, listener, and welcome back to the £1.92 Committee, the podcast where a group of disenfranchised millennial snowflakes give their semi-informed opinions on the major issues shaping the political discourse in the UK today, and in particular, those issues that matter most to us personally. My name is Al McNair, and joining me today are Aaron Matthews, George Beard, and James Brooke. How's it going, gents? Very well. Very well. Very well, thank you. Good. good. Excellent. Now, given our absence in the past fortnight, we have quite a lot to unpack on this week's podcast. Today, we'll look at the results of the recent Euro elections and what it means for the direction of you know what. Theresa May has finally given a time frame for her resignation, so it's a good opportunity to reflect on her legacy. That shouldn't take too long. <laughs> of course, as a consequence of that emotional speech in front of 10 Downing Street, we now have a Tory leadership contest on our hands. In the last part of today's episode, we'll assess the merits of the growing list of candidates. All right then, gents. So firstly, on to the Euro elections. Now, very quickly, just to throw some numbers, as I'm sure everyone's well aware of and have probably read these to death, just to go through the actual results in terms of uh, percentage of the vote. So we have the Brexit party with 30.8%, the Lib Dems with 19.8%, Labour with 13.7%, the Green Party with 11.8%, the Conservative Party with 8.9%, the SNP with 3.5. Uh, do you know, I put down Chuck and I have to remember the name of the bloody party. Change UK, <laughs> the independent group. Got that right again? Yep. Uh, 3.3%, UKIP 3.2, and then about 5% for the remainder of the parties. So Brexit party MEPs were very quick uh, to claim a mandate for a no-deal Brexit, uh, whereas followers of the Remain movement and also basic arithmetic uh, counter this point with the fact that anti-Brexit parties, so the Lib Dems, Greens, SNP and Change UK, uh, far outweighed, or say far outweighed, they outweighed pro-Brexit parties by 4.4%. So who is right to claim victory? As always with an election, it's not a referendum. People vote in elections for the parties, not necessarily for things, although the Brexit party is quite arguably a different beast in that regard because it has no policies <laughs> and i think irrespective of who came out on top i find it deeply concerning that they they got the extent of the percentage vote share that they did when they have no policies no, no they have not explained at all what it is that they intend to do what they intend to implement uh, all they've said is we want brexit have they explained kind of you know how they're going to do that other than yelling no deal no and it's just it's just i find it really really concerning that so many people can vote for a concept and therefore elect some pretty terrible people if you look at through some of the names of the, of the people you have climate change deniers one of the west midlands meps and i haven't got his name to hand but one of the west midlands meps has uh, got a track record on social media of, of denying the human impact of of climate change yeah just just plenty of I don't know, like contemptible people elected to public office and given power because no one cares about the detail or anything that's going on. They just voted Brexit. And it's like, that's that's mm. so concerning to me. Yeah, I don't think either side can really claim victory. I think it probably is an accurate depiction of where the country's at in the sense that it's stalemate, it's deadlock, it's a deeply divided country, which doesn't know as as a collective what it should be doing and that's reflected in 
in Parliament as well. So, you know, turnout was relatively low, about sort of mid-30s, I think. Worryingly, the Brexit party, in terms of the number of MEPs in the European Parliament as a whole, I think is the largest party across Europe in terms of yeah, in terms of its overall number, which is just frightening. So yeah, I mean, it was good to see like parties like the Lib Dems and, and Greens do well, and quite frankly, it's good to see that the kind of two two uh, sort of Labour and, and Conservatives, the traditionally the two major parties, get a bit of a kicking because really, in some senses, they don't deserve much more than that. But you know, I'd, it's, it's, it, I don't think it's really going to change much. I think all it did was you know quicken up sort of Theresa May's resignation. In in reality, it does does make me. I guess a bit concerned about, you know, what would happen if a second referendum were to take place because he clearly still a critical mass of people who would who would favour Brexit. Absolutely. So I think it also kind of shows a perfect illustration of where we're at as a country in terms of no longer really caring about a manifesto or any kind of policy. It's really everything's driven by ideology. Mm. Yeah. And populism. I mean, it's almost like the most... So almost like the purest form of that kind of bananism, if you want to call it that, yeah. of whipping up a frenzy around a central idea with absolutely no substance behind it. And I can't remember, I can't remember her name, although I know that there's a MEP with the exact same name. Um, help me out, someone here. It was on Question Time the other night. We'll cut this bit. <laughs> there, was a, there was a Brexit party MEP um, on Question Time the other night, and she was... I think she was asked something around uh, tuition fees and there's nothing there. No. It's completely vacuous. I mean, to be fair, they have only been going for six weeks. Fair enough. And they haven't yet run in a UK election. It's only been for um, the EU parliament. But still, we think they might be having those conversations. They might have something. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, they are literally a one-issue party. Mm. And even within that issue, there's... There's bugger all sorts. There's, there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a soundbite, isn't it? It's just again, it's an idea. It's a belief, and we have a complete absence of the use of, of fact or analysis on anything. And it's quite worrying because it feels like we are very, very deeply rooted in that now. Yeah, I've. I mean, I've always. I think I formed like part of my opening the first time we ever recorded this. Is my my chief issue with Brexit isn't so much Europe. You know, like I've said before, I, I'm obviously no fan of leaving the European Union. I think it's a dreadful thing for the country. It is what you said. It's I've watched the country get whipped up into a nationalist frenzy over what was a fringe issue in 2015. You, you know, you can say that people are leaking votes to UKIP, but were people leaking votes? Uh, were, were the Conservatives leaking votes to UKIP over the issue of Europe, or were they leaking votes to UKIP over? protest votes at other issues and austerity and things like that. You know, there's probably an element of both being true. And actually, you can go and you can look at polls and you can look at look at polls and like people being asked about how much they kind of care about our EU membership. And up until 2016, it's such a small minority of people. And after that, everyone, it's it's the only issue. And people massively care about this and brexit party are not talking about the pros and merits of leaving the european union they are they are they are not they are talking about it as a concept that has to be enacted and they are talking about it in the language of betrayal 
and it's 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 nationalism taking over an issue and we've seen it in the past how how that i just how it corrupts people yeah it's not the whole argument about brexit you know is is it's not just become you know like you say not just become you know a case of should we stay in the eu or not it's it's what we how we identify britain as a country and what where its place should be in the world and i think that's there's a clear divide between kind of two two opposing views one kind of based more on reality and one based on quite frankly nostalgia i think from a time that just has you know where people feel like they've been left behind and you know we could go on for hours about this couldn't we (laughs) on on this tangent and it's sunny outside so let's not (laughs) yeah (laughs) i am going to put put a name though to that earlier claim though i mean that it's not the mid the west midlands one but the north um it's an mep for the north east brian monteith uh authored an article in the scotsman in april this year saying climate change is not the biggest threat to life on earth and then proceeds to basically poo-pooing the idea that it's a serious threat. And it's just it's just astonishing. You know, he's he's wheeling out all the, the old, very boring arguments about protesters causing havoc and disruption. Or like how how and you know, taking measures to prevent climate change will disrupt business and things like that. And it's like, yes, yes, that's the point. The point is that you need to now get to a point where you realise that that disruption has got to happen because there's a bigger threat. And I just I just find it baffling that, you know, this this person's been elected into office off the back of something like climate change denial because people don't look at the detail and people don't look at the people they're voting for. They just voted for a concept. I mean, it's clear that in society, in British society now, it's almost everything's become this bipolar, you know, remain and leave extreme. And basically people have painted into their camps and you know generally um you have to be seen to be representing your your side even though it, it might not be in your best interest anymore um but and that's it's i think it's a bit dangerous because we're heading towards u.s style politics where you know there's the whole republican democrat it's very entrenched over there you know you're red or you're blue and i think the trouble here is that this is almost what the, the remain the leave argument is is becoming the same kind of problem um and it i don't i mean it threatens to kind of tear up the seams of the uh the politics we have now in this country so i i think we'll see more results like we've had in i mean the euro election like in the euro elections the euro elections are a bit of an oddity just because they have fairly low turnout and it's some of it is a protest vote but i think we will still see some big changes next time you know, we're heading towards a general election, but people people are protesting against the party in opposition as well, which <laughs> is like a fundamental problem <laughs> in 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 our country. To be honest, um, it's quite interesting what Emily Thornbury was saying at kind of shortly after ten o'clock on Sunday when the votes were counted, and she was quite frank, I guess, uh, about what Labour basically modelled message has been on on Brexit and that it's cost them dearly at the European elections. But are they going to learn from it? Probably not. 
So it's kind of, you know, again, I just think it's a continuation of the status quo. The, the, the situation around Brexit hasn't really changed. Is a new Tory leader going to change anything? Probably not. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's smile about that. But the, <laughs> you're, right, you're right with the Labour Party in that it's, there's, no, there's no evidence of it changing. Why there is no evidence of it changing baffles me because they were yeah. eviscerated they were completely and utterly destroyed in the polls and it was it was another question on question time the other night by a guy well, it wasn't a question he basically spoke directly to barry gardner and said if you think you got 14.1 percent of the vote share um and you in the eu election and you think somehow in a general election you're going to convert that into 30-40% that you need to win, you haven't got a hope in hell. You have not got a hope in hell. And it's like... Is that, I, I'm is getting that hell? To, <laughs> 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 I'm, like, I'm getting angry about this because, like, what is the strategy? It's not yeah. working. The strategy isn't working. You've tried to appeal to everyone, and what you've succeeded in doing is appealing to precisely no one at all. And yeah. your fear of upsetting Brexiters is completely misguided because, firstly, <coughs> they were all voting Conservative before May's deal came about, and now the rise of the Brexit Party means that they're probably going to vote for the Brexit Party if they still want Brexit. So who are you appealing to? Are you just like the the, the clear tra- trajectory that this has always gone on is is remain is going to get stronger over time as the reality of Brexit becomes more and more obvious. They they had you know the opportunity to effectively make the Lib Dems and the Green Party irrelevant in the European elections. They had the opportunity yeah. to mop up the Remain vote if they had a really clear message. Uh, about saying we we do not think this is in the best interest of the country, and they thought no. I mean, I don't know where they're going to get where they think they're going to get the votes from. But I think with Corbyn, it's always I've always thought that kind of electoral success isn't as big a deal as it is for other leaders or parties. <laughs> it's all about this this ideological pursuit, this kind of weird endeavour just to almost an intellectual thing. Which is which is fairly ironic, but you know, just to kind of say this this is you know this is socialism is is where we should be going, and this is this is how we can get here. And actually, I'm skeptical. I I I you know I I have doubts about the European Union myself. Um, it's 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 bizarre, and to say to not even come out the next day saying saying oh obviously very disappointed by the results, but we need to obviously listen to to the electorate, and you know we. We feel actually, on reflection, Brexit isn't 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 potentially the best idea, and that's for, that's why we're going to campaign for a, either a second re- referendum or, or to sort of revoke altogether. Uh, no, it was just kind of like, well, okay, we'll uh, we'll carry on in the sort of general vague direction we've been travelling to, to uh, for the last year, two years, three years, you know. Yeah, crazy. And then to to pinch a phrase from uh, the the front pages a few months ago. To not only do that, but then to, in inverted commas, crush the saboteurs by mm. expelling Alistair Campbell. Oh God! Yep. Yeah. For you know, for for daring to actually go against against the grain and to not vote for a party which 
quite frankly, what, as we've just discussed, what are they there for? What are they doing? Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, yeah, why? I mean, it's good. I mean, Alistair Campbell was just being honest about it, he noted for saying, I have problems with the Labour Party, I'm a Labour member, this is where I'd like to see it going. I mean, quite, you know, lots of other Labour members probably didn't vote Labour. I mean, I know a few as well, and they didn't vote Labour at the, at, at, at the European elections, despite being Labour members for, for a large large part of their life. So it's just kind of, well, don't. the problem isn't that you've got kind of impure people in your party. The problem is that your party uh, party's leadership is is gone off on one basically and it's just irrelevant YouGov did a poll where they reckon that if Labour adopted the same policy as they have with Alastair Campbell to their membership they would have to expel 41% of their members (laughs) (laughs) well I was just going to say Corbyn would probably like that in the sense that he just probably wants only people who kind of completely agree with him purists yeah absolutely purists no no (laughs) mudbloods no exactly and that's that's what he probably wants and that's you know he's and then Labour will become even more irrelevant but you know, if that's what he wants, then it's a it's a loss to the country in a, in a, in, a, in a way that we don't have a decent opposition to kind of keep government in check. It's worth saying as well, just for balance, that there were some fairly high profile Tory MPs as well, or uh, Tory lords, if you want to call them that. Um, Lord Hesseltine, I know Ken Clark also was basically saying that a lot of the people that he hangs out with in Parliament did not vote for the Conservatives. Uh, obviously, that can go one of two ways. They might also vote for the Brexit Party, but. Um, I think a lot of them again yeah. voted Lib Dem or you know people standing up for the Remain cause. Uh, just on the Lib Dems, actually, and um, something that's come to light in the last couple of days, uh, the the YouGov poll that was done for the Times that put the um, the voting intention of Westminster, or well, basically having the Lib Dems in the lead. Um, just wondering how much we should read into that, and also what the party should be doing to kind of keep riding the crest of this wave that's come up come about off the back of the Euro elections. All, all hail the mighty bird of liberty. Now, now is our time. <laughs> <laughs> After many years. <laughs> I, mean, what- I think they, 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 should, they need to capitalise by, ele- by having a leader in that's enigmatic as far as is possible, and there aren't many choices. I like Joe Swinson, who is one of the main contenders. Who's the other guy? Um, that's it and there's the problem in a nutshell but i don't remember who he is and i watched an interview (laughs) with him the day before yesterday and i just thought you seem like you're all right but you're nothing special he's like he's he's kind of he's perfectly fine as an mp is he is he leader does he have the name will he gain the name recognition no he's kind of a younger vince cable really (laughs) i think i think joe swinson would be good and i think joe swinson will be able to cut through some of the, you know, a lot of the noise that's happening around Brexit and actually kind of be that reasonable voice in the debate. In a very small proxy kind of way, um, I think the ineptitude and ambiguity, though, of the Conservatives and the Labour Party over Brexit has kind of reflected in the, um, the, the election results of last week. It's almost like they're having their tuition fee moment, their Lib Dem moment. They're being punished for that. The yeah, the, the striking thing about that YouGov poll is obviously Lib Dems were in the lead and then second was Brexit Party, which means that the, the two largest parties in government were third and fourth, I believe, respectively, which mm. is unprecedented. Like that's, that's never happened and it shows how far these things have got. And as you said about the, the tuition fee moment, I mean, the things that are happening now in Westminster are things that people will hold against parties for the next decade, two decades, however long. I mean, there's already enough 
things that I've witnessed internally in the parties that, you know, has tarnished them in my opinion. And I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling that. No. No, but just, just a quick, quick question. Even if Cor- Corbyn came out and was like fully 100% remain tomorrow, would you vote for him? I wouldn't. No. I don't fucking trust not. him. Because no. it'd, be, it'd be disingenuous, wouldn't it? That's not what he believes. Mm. I, th- I think. I think. I think. Overall, the you know we can't obviously look into this poll. I mean, the poll is fascinating, and but you know, can we look into it so much when effectively the Tory leader, the Tory party, don't, doesn't have a leader effectively at the moment, and is the likelihood of a general election happening soon? You know, what is the likelihood? Not high. Given, I mean, given that poll, it's certainly not high um, because a lot of the Labour and both Labour and Tory MPs will stand to lose a lot of seats, and they won't vote for a general election uh, for an early general election. So, I mean, I'm still of the view that the next general election probably won't happen until 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 2022. Frankly, mm. under the fixed term fixed term act. So, because at the moment the two largest parties that would need to vote to to, to I think I think you need. I think you might. I'm not, well, this is an absolute guess, and I'm sorry if it's wrong. Uh, but I think you, I think Parliament. I think the MPs have to have a two-thirds majority uh, in the Commons to trigger election an election, um, which is just not going to happen. And even if it's fifty percent, it's just not going to happen. Given that, given that that the European election results and the poll, they'll just just try to ride it out. And once again, politics takes precedent over the direction of our country it's more important mm. yeah yeah exactly you know our tur- you know effectively our turkey's going to vote for christmas no irrespective of how much you can read into it the lib dems at the top of the polls 40 percent of people backing parties with an overt pro remain people's vote message is another reminder that this false narrative of the will of the people it's bullshit. Mm. And it's beginning to get to the point where that bullshit is having political consequences, which is when the direction of things will start to change. Uh, okay, yes, I mean, Corbyn hasn't moved, but there is an increased pressure and there is pressure that is only going to keep increasing on him to change, change position on that. And there's an increased pressure on the Conservative Party to have a long, hard look, I think, at who they put in as leader, which we'll come to talk about, Hmm. and what they're going to do to stop this flow of people to, A, towards a hard Brexit vote. But the vote share on the European elections, just the movement in the reduction in the Conservative percentage to other parties, it was not that the reduction in vote share was equated by the increase in vote share by the Brexit party. So Conservatives went and voted for other parties other than the Brexit party. They've lost Conservative Remain voters as well. Finished behind the Greens. Yeah. I mean, it's almost certain, Aaron, because I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but the Brexit party numbers were very similar to the UKIP's numbers in the previous election. It's basically the same same bunch of people are going to vote for the Farage party every Mm -hmm. time. But it means then for for Labour and Conservatives, a majority of the voters they lost with the Remain lot because, you know, they they feel that their parties don't represent their views on this issue, which has now you know, become, as we've discussed before, like is the the only issue in this country at the moment, really. Yeah, it does mean that view is entrenched, though, doesn't it? Um, yeah, hugely. Yeah, 
it is absolutely entrenched. And sorry, just to go back to my earlier point, obviously there could be a, uh, an early general election if if uh, the Commons kind of uh, doesn't have any confidence in the government. But with a new Tory leader coming in, it's unlikely that that would be achieved anytime soon. Well, it depends if they try and force through No Deal. At that at that point, you would there'd be absolutely unequivocal whether you're you're only out for yourself or you're out for your country. If if the yeah. new Tory leader comes in, sorry, new Prime Minister comes in, tries to force through No Deal Brexit, and on the basis of having to face a general election where they may themselves go out of office, I'm talking across the House. Yeah. If they yeah. don't come to a decision for a vote of no confidence, then well, <laughs> if that would yeah. happen, you'd, you'd really see people for, for who they are. Next, she's going, finally. <laughs> After months of trying to force through her Brexit withdrawal bill, Theresa May has signalled when she'll finally step down from the position of Tory and Unionist Party, as well as Prime Minister. Um, so, her legacy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? That's it. Next. <laughs> Did anyone see the front page of Private Eye this week? Yes. Yes, kind of with, the, with, the, with the headline, yeah. <laughs> Theresa May's legacy and the front page is entirely blank, <laughs> which was completely savage. <laughs> but I... It's right, isn't it? I mean, well, actually... I think it's worse than blank. I think it's worse than blank. Yeah, I, think it's I was going to say legacy. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as though she hasn't done anything. It's just, she, she's made things worse. Yes. It's the meme of the cartoon dog <laughs> in the burning house. Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. Everything's fine. The, the, sorry, James. the phrase. I mean, the, I think the her lasting contribution that's kind of the worst thing she did is the no deal is better than a bad deal, which has now entered <laughs> the hearts and minds of a number of people, and I, it has been the thing that's going to that haunted her throughout. You know, she said it. You know, in this kind of moment of vigor and pride and etc. When she was first um, first into the office and. As soon as that kind of became an idea and people spoke about it, I'm like, oh yeah, no deal is better than a bad deal. And then that's just now perforated throughout. And the mm -hmm. idea of no deal that seems so like extreme at one point in the, you know, the, oh, it's, you know, it's the worst thing, but it'll never happen. It's fine. We've got all these chances. It's now become a very real thing and people are campaigning for it. So that's what she has brought. She yeah, made the worst option sound not so bad. Yeah. My view on a legacy is, is that she promoted and promulgated the lies she had the opportunity to at the very least start to take increasingly incremental steps at explaining to the electorate because it's your job as leader that the brexit that was promised in the referendum is never going to be achievable and why she didn't do that i do not understand because it may well be politically very awkward for you, but it will be politically awkward for you if it turns up and bites you in the arse in two years' time, like it did, and it will be less awkward if you start to manage people's expectations from an early stage. And my view is, I know, you know, it's easy to look back and, and say this, this could have happened, but her strongest position, the time when she was at the strongest to make a controversial quote-unquote claim that, you know, you guys have voted to leave the European Union, but you need to understand that actually 
the things that are promised cannot all be delivered was as soon as she was elected leader. Because she then, at that point, had at least the backing of people who'd voted for her. And I think it's probably quite unlikely that she would have immediately been removed. She, She never did. She just continued with the base of sloganeering, you know, like James said, no deal's better than a bad deal. Brexit means Brexit. Red, white and blue Brexit. Let's not forget that zinger. Yeah. That failure to manage any kind of expectations just meant that the minute that it became something tangible and real, it destroyed her. It just completely destroyed her. Will a successor suffer the same fate, do you think? When reality bites... Well, yeah, yeah if, if that's that's what I'm talking about, well, I, I personally think that the Conservatives have to look long and hard about who they elect. Anyone who they elect who is a liar, Boris, Rob, um, who is lying to the public about the, con- yeah, about the consequences of Brexit and what, they, what it will bring, will be bitten on the arse by it eventually. Uh, because it doesn't matter how much you lie and how much you obfuscate, you cannot get away from reality. And the chief enemy of... Brexit as a concept is reality. It's a bad idea. And it doesn't matter whether you see that yet or not. That is what it is. And it will become obvious. I just think if you're a conservative leader, you need to address the only way you can start to address that is by doing what someone like Rory Stewart is doing, which is he is more realistic about it. You know, coming out and saying no deal isn't acceptable. It, 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 it The consequences aren't good. I just don't see any way of, of lying around that. Yeah, there were, I was just wondering if we could sort of move away from Brexit for the moment. Uh, there, there are two words which I'm going to say, which for me just means that Theresa May is simply a, has been an awful prime minister. First one is Windrush. Yeah. Uh, the second one, the second one is Grenfell. Yeah. Those are two. You know, st- taking taking Grenfell first. Actually, her lack of leadership. In the, in the aftermath and the immediate and sort of uh, you know immediate and, and not so immediate aftermath of of the of the tragic event was was quite frankly disgraceful. Her not visiting the site for security reasons, but then the Queen beating her to the post, and the Queen went down and visited the site, but Theresa May couldn't. Just smacked of any kind of moral compass or at, 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 at best just an inability to have any sort of connection with real people it was, it's disgraceful really uh, and I feel like the you know I feel like Grenfell was an issue that has been forgotten by the elites absolutely um, mm. and is, is a disgrace Windrush I guess is more to, is, is some of which to do is her time as Home Secretary because uh, that's obviously been an issue that's been going on, you know, f- by where, um, correct me if I'm wrong, where effectively, you know, those who, who emigrated to Britain was were facing deportation, effectively. And this, and this is, you know, this, is, this isn't recently uh, coming to this country. It, it's, for, it's for families who have, who have a, an established presence in this country. And she has to, you know, to, to, for those to even kind of, having to face any sort of prospect of uh, deportation is is a disgrace. And then, quite frankly, she effectively shoved Amber Rudd under the bus. 
and she had to take the blame as she was the current Home Secretary. But those issues were, were, were very much there while Theresa May was Home Secretary. And equally, Theresa May hasn't done anything really of any kind of note as her, in her power as Prime Minister to, to, you know, to, to correct things that shouldn't have happened at all. And I just, I just feel that lack of, that lack of, I don't know, spine, moral being, um, is, 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 is not on, really. It's not on. It's not, you, you would expect more from a prime minister, even one that you didn't like. You'd expect more. And another thing that I really don't think that she deserves any of, and I might seem cold to some people, but is sympathy. For, no, I mean, you can no. almost track back everything that's happened that's had a negative effect on her in a premiership is of her own making. All these issues that have come out around surrounding Windrush is her. All yeah. the issues around Brexit, I'm sorry, is her. Yeah. She put up, the, I mean, again, we could talk about this all, all day. She put up those red lines to begin with mm-hmm. and made a bed for herself from the very beginning. And yeah. again, it's just false narrative of the eu forcing things on us it it, of course they have to look after their own interests protect those but it's as much of theresa may and her government's making you know the mess that we find ourselves in another thing on a domestic level that i really wanted to point out and it sort of goes back to her opening speech and i remember that quite clearly quite powerful actually it was a very good actually very convincing speech outside number 10 when she uh when she won the leadership election for for the Tory party, the phrase being the party for the many, not the few. The UN released a report a couple of weeks ago, uh, which stated there are 14 million people, a Mm. fifth of our population are currently living in poverty. Yep. That is shameful. It is. It's, it's, it's astonishing. You read that report. It's, it's really astonishing. And what is worse is, the reaction and it's endemic of our current politics is when that report is disclosed the government's comment on it is to deny and to say that the report is flawed in its well, in its basis just, and it's like how just about complete dismissal isn't yeah, it? how yeah. about for one second you assume there might be an element of credibility in this that is leading to people dying in the country that you are running and at least look like you're going to do something about it. And the the example, you know, the fact that these have had to come as kind of an, an afterthought, and I know it was me rambling on about Brexit, but these things are afterthoughts after May's legacy on Brexit. That's the first thing that comes to mind, is another example of how Brexit is just, we're ignoring all of the issues because of Brexit. Uh, and well, I mean, would May have dealt with Windrush or Grenfell differently without Brexit? No. But there'd be there'd be more scrutiny on her. Yes, that yeah, that and those those are those are those are massively important issues, and those are things that take a back burner and they get lost in terms of public conversation and public pressure because of everything else that's going on with leaving the European Union. This, like like I said earlier, whipped up into this nationalist frenzy over this fringe issue when the actual fr- issues, which aren't about concepts like sovereignty that mean nothing, they are about people's lives and people's safety and people's well-being are not taking precedent and it is rage inducing it is utterly utterly rage inducing
And so, as we all know, the consequence of a leader resigning from their party is a leadership race. We now have that wonderful spectacle, uh, the race between the good, the bad and the Johnson. There are currently 12 <laughs> candidates in the running. And it just, it, yeah. Here we, Jesus Christ. Here we go. Have you got this of the day? We're ready. <laughs> Johnson, Raab, Hunt, Stewart, McVeigh, Hancock, Ledsom, Gove, Javid, Malthouse, Cleverly, Harper. Benson, Hedges. Like the wor- it's like the world. <laughs> John, Paul, Ringer. Any any names that kind of from from that lineup of, I mean, God, it's, it's a mixed bunch. We'll put it that way. Uh, any any strong thoughts? Maybe uh, let let's go with people. So for all of us, I'm going to take a, a wild swing and say they're actually we're pretty impressed by Rory Stewart and the way yeah, he's been like flying Rory out Stewart. the blocks. Yeah, yeah. I just hope he isn't that kind of the equivalent of the cyclist or the marathon runner that absolutely hoons it out the starting block and then eventually yeah. runs out of steam before the end of the race. The thing is he's very his issue is he's very popular among people who would never normally vote Tory. Uh, mm. and at the moment his his elect his selectorate are three hundred or so MPs, Tory MPs, of which he's not that popular in. So I think he's running a very good social media campaign because he needs to kind of prove, I guess, his viability and if he's popular to the wider electorate then MPs might think well actually is he going to be the best chance of me keeping my seat that's his strategy effectively Uh, but at the moment the number of MPs backing him is pretty low compared to others and he's certainly not in that top tier of likely sort of candidates that are going to kind of go to the final two which will then go off to the membership however uh, yeah he's pretty good isn't he Hmm. he's pretty good he's saying some saying some really good stuff on and you know substance you know we've yeah. been craving for substance you know it's just kind of like as soon as we see substance in Rory Stewart we're like oh my goodness this is what yeah. we've been missing <laughs> I might not agree with you on everything but you are using facts you are using figures you are using evidence you are using experience it's like what on earth are you doing no exactly not a it's hope like, in hell are you He's like, it's, the thing is, it's almost like he's off his rocker. But in a sense, he's the only one on his rocker. <laughs> Everyone else is off it. And he's just the one going, actually, I've looked at the facts and I've read the withdrawal agreement. And this is why, I, you know, it's just like, actually, yeah, I mean, has Boris read the withdrawal agreement? Absolutely not. Mm. You know, this is a guy who reads. <laughs> Period. You know, full stop, that's it. This is a guy who studies things. Uh, and you kind of think, yeah, I like you. <laughs> I do, I do, I do like him. But did you see the slightly bizarre the video on Twitter yes. that he did in Kew Gardens of him? I love it. It's brilliant. He filmed himself, so quote unquote, as he is. He's like, you know, I'm in a Kew Gardens doing some stuff on Cocoa Farms. Um, except it turns out someone else was filming him and he was holding his arm out to make it look <laughs> yeah. like he was filming himself, yeah. which is mental. Um, it's just, yeah. that's completely mental. But the, the funniest thing is someone tweeted him and said, Rory, are you, because you could see, you could tell, like, Rory, are, are, you, are, you, are you holding the camera yourself? And, and he just replied, no. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even bother. He just goes, no, 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 no I wasn't. But I love it. Come and, come and speak 
to me at Kew Gardens, tickets are £18. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I love it. I just kind of like, you know, actually he has been going to some, you know, the, the widths and breadths of the lengths of the country to kind of talk to people. And he's, he's certainly won Twitter, isn't he? Um, he's won mm. the social media battle. He's very memeable, but they all seem to be quite positive memes, which is great. Yes. Yeah. I love the um, every Rory Stewart video looks like he's one half of a peep show dialogue. That's a personal favourite at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I think, wasn't it, someone described him as looking like a homeless Mick Jagger? Which is, yeah. he's got a bit of um, Eddie Redmayne about him as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah I see that. Yeah. There's, um, there's a picture of, there's like a meme or, of a, or, a, or a gif of like a man running from, I think it's a tornado or some sort of lion or something like that. And it's kind of like a man running from Rory Stewart who's trying to talk to him about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> But he is, he's, he's going out, he's engaging with people. And yeah. you're right, he's, but he's having the message. You can't really ask for more in, I, in I, some I, ways. Yeah, but I, I get the impression as well, just like, it's not for show. It's, it's a message no. that he's actually trying to get across that this is about people. And this is about when you're talking about Brexit. I don't, you know, obviously he's, he's still of a mind to push Brexit through, which I don't agree with. But he he's also coming out and saying, look, if you if we're gonna get this through, it's got to be about compromise. It's got to be about you know, it's not about slogans and and it's about tangible reality and facts, and it's really refreshing. So I would like him to win, which means he will never, never, ever win. Yeah. <laughs> almost, almost guaranteed to fail. Massively. It's kind of like in that in that hit you know in the hideous reality that Brexit does have to be delivered. If someone had to deliver it, you you would favour him. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, and it goes back to the expectations management point I made. I just I can't see how any Tory leader who comes in who does not from moment one start to explain what Brexit is, what actual things will happen if we leave. And that doesn't mean it has to be like painted a disaster zone, but just realistic things like we can't take back control of our own trade policy without there being a hard border in Ireland. Simple fact, circle can't be squared. You can't have both of those things that were promised. Unless people start to come out and explain that, Brexit will eat them alive because that reality is coming. Whether you like it or not, that reality is what is going to happen. And it will happen quite quickly because the next extension deadline's in October. The EU, have you seen they've basically disbanded the negotiating team? who were, were 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 arguing about um Brexit. That's like a clearer sign if you weren't already listening to them that they're not going to revisit this. <laughs> so it still doesn't change the reality that is if you want to leave with a deal, it'll be a withdrawal agreement first. If you move to no deal, you're still gonna need a deal with the EU, but you'll be trying to negotiate from a position of complete disastrous weakness. And the Prime Minister's deal has never had popular support. So I just think if, if, if the only way you can get this through is to start to get people to understand that that's the case, I, I don't know whether it'll be enough. And I wouldn't like to see, because the thing I fear is even if Rory wins, he'll be chewed up by Brexit, same as anyone else. But the fact that we're kind of like, you know, we have a little bit of, I wouldn't say we're inspired, but we we kind of like, oh, this 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 guy's all right. It's kind of like his his whole thing of trying to unify the country. You kind of think, well, actually, if we're saying that, then actually maybe he is that 
he's, he's the best chance of doing that. He has the best chance of doing that if he can bring people previously are kind of locked in, you know, locked against each other uh, and can cut down those barriers, then you kind of think, well, at least you're saying something that's kind of different and you're speaking in reality and you're not an ideologue. Um, so good luck to him. But yeah, still, still, I would say an outsider. James. So the, the European Union this week, yeah, disbanded the, the negotiation team and you know, they've insisted since March every time that they're not going to reopen the withdrawal agreement. There will be no renegotiation. And I think on a broader point, this is going to be one of the issues that needs to be brought to attention for all of the Tory leadership candidates is that some of them, I mean, most of them are saying that they will renegotiate things, that they will change things. Mm -hmm. And it's a fact the EU said, no, we won't. And so almost the very first question that should be put to them is, you know, well, what's your position on the EU? Will you renegotiate? If they say yes, you say, well, they've said they won't. So what are you going to do then? Yeah, because that that's kind of the first question they're going to get as soon as they step into the office is like, right, Brexit, what's the plan? How are we going to deal with the the options we have on the table, which at the moment are major withdrawal agreement yeah. or no deal or no Brexit? Yeah, I think the last the last the last option was pretty good, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that will not win <laughs> you the Tory leadership contest, at least saying it. No, that's not it's not a vote winner for among MPs is it, for that. But, but Boris has already come out and basically said that, hasn't he? I mean, and it's what will be fascinating to watch is the uh, final demolition of this argument that having a Brexit PM will mean that Brexit can be somehow delivered. Because I still see it. I still see this argument. And it's hilarious to me because it's like it's almost like we didn't appoint as the Brexit secretary known Brexit David Davis or to the subsequent Brexit secretary when David Davis resigned, known Brexiter Dominic Raab, or have Boris Johnson in the cabinet meetings as foreign secretary, (laughs) or have Liam Fox in cabinet meetings as the Department for International Trade. Obviously, it's, it's, it's bullshit. And the other thing is that, you know, I do. I don't do like international negotiations. Part of my job, but part of my job is you do negotiate settlements. And what doesn't happen is when you've got your opponent where you want them, and you've got the concessions out of them that you want. You, what doesn't happen is that someone else comes in on the other side, and by sheer force of their personality and Britishness, I will give you everything you want. <laughs> it's just like it's never going to work like that. It's completely unrealistic. And I just think it'll be it'll be interesting to watch that excuse fall by the wayside because this isn't about personalities. This is about tangible facts and some things that are workable in, in practice. And it doesn't matter who's at the helm. That doesn't change that. Maybe we should throw a wild card and send Chris Grayling over to negotiate. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm speechless. He's, he's still a cabinet minister the last time I checked. <laughs> Well, I guess we could spend a bit of time going over the rest of the candidates. Obviously, we we don't have all day, so we can't go through all of them. Um, of that group, who could we just discount immediately as having not a hope in hell of getting anywhere near to that final two, or at least past the first um, first round of selections? M- Mark Harper, because yeah, I haven't, I haven't got a fucking clue who he is. <laughs> yeah, Kit Malthouse probably. It's yeah. not going to get very far. Esther McVeigh, I'd cleverly. I think Hancock 
might get further than those that we've just mentioned because I think he's picking up I think Jeremy Hunt's lost a little bit of momentum among MPs I think Hancock's picking up some of the some of that sort of support that might have gone to Jeremy Hunt I think the interest well not the, the interesting in an objective but not necessarily you know good way is is would is Gove of course I think Gove's probably the only person who I would say he's the most likely to stop Boris because there's actually quite a few Remainers, Remainer MPs like uh, Tom Tugendhat who are supporting Gove. I say Remainer, originally voted Remain, but is no longer a Remainer. Gove is probably the most kind of like, is the one certainly to keep an eye on. And let's hope he you know, pays Boris the courtesy of stabbing him in the front this time. <laughs> <laughs> what about Rob? Yeah. I can't stand well, he's an the idiot, guy, isn't person. he? Yeah, he's I... an idiot. Yeah, I mean, he's actually. I mean, Gove isn't an idiot. Rab is an idiot. <laughs> um, interesting that David Davis is backing Rab. David Davis is, is interesting. Sort of person, actually, he's a fucking idiot as it... well. <laughs> he is a fucking idiot. But you kind of think there's a lot on that Brexit side. It's well catered for, isn't it? Uh, in terms of people who are standing, and actually on the kind of less kind of the the ruling out a no deal side of the Tory party it's not that well populated which I think there'll be a, you know it's, diff, it's difficult because actually we don't know what a lot of MPs stand for um, and just because MPs might be saying oh I, 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 I'm in favour of this person they actually might think you know might further down the line actually change their vote and nobody would know um, so it's a very difficult one to call I think in if it's not going to be Boris I think with I think with Rob I don't think there's any way of more successfully showing him for what he is than um, James O'Brien's uh, montage cl- of clips he 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 put together uh, a few months ago, and I think I'll edit it in here, please, because please it's do. awesome. <laughs> and also, we'll, um, we'll we'll pop a link to it in the uh, in the description of this episode as well because. It's just worth worth hearing. There's no manipulation or editing. It is playing a man's words back to him. My name's Dominic Raab, and I'm a Tory. I don't support the Human Rights Act, and I don't believe in economic and social rights. Yeah, down with the, uh, economic and social rights. If, if you didn't have any economic and social rights, what would happen to disabled and sick people? With, with the work capability assessment, Napier, University and Harriet Watt just released evidence uh, about how it causes almost universal permanent mental health damage. It kills people. I have friends who were institutionalized after going through it. It is an act of violence and we are dying. And this this election is life or death for us. The raw truth is the money's got to come from somewhere. And it's very... It's very easy. Let, let, him, let him respond. It's very, let him respond. It's very easy, and I can think of lots of things that I would uh, like to avoid making difficult decisions on, and lots of areas like uh, the health service or schools where I want to put even more money in. But unless you've got a strong economy creating the revenue, it, it's just a childish wish list. We're trying to do our best to get the balance right between responsible public finances and investing so in some of those you, crucial areas you discussed. You choose to sacrifice tens of thousands of disabled people for the sake of that. Well, I've heard the persecution of disabled and, and sick people called many, many things, and I've heard calls for it to be stopped and properly funded. 
called many things as well, but I've never heard it called a childish wish list before. Crikey. Of course, you don't have to be disabled or sick to suffer from austerity. The typical user of food bank is not someone that's languishing in poverty, it's someone who has a cash flow problem episodically. Oh. No, it's true. Yeah. Well, that's what the, that, okay. that is what the Trussell Trust plate yeah. says. It's not what they say, and, and It is, it is. Uh, um, he was lying when he said that that claim had come from the Trussell Trust. The Trust said that while delays to benefit payments were one of the main reasons people turned to food banks, such crises tended to be exacerbated by poverty and low pay, which were also direct causes for many to seek assistance. This came after research was published showing that there are at least 2,000 food banks in the UK. Been a bit unfair to Dominic Raab because he does actually understand some stuff. You know, all the people saying that we'll easily be able to leave the European Union and have no checks at all on the Irish border. Yeah, that stuff. We've got a bilateral relationship with Ireland. We're a very close relationship. We've also got the history of the Troubles. All of these things can be handled very sensitively. But I think but if, if you... not, people, could you... If Ireland obviously remains an EU member, you... then EU nationals can travel there well, and then come into the UK without a passport. If you're worried about border controls and security, and Frontex are, if you're worried about the effect of those EU rules, you couldn't leave a back door without some kind either of checks there with any country or assurances in relation to the checks that they're conducting, obviously. Otherwise, everyone with ill will towards this country would go around that route. But, hang on a minute, how, how could anybody campaign for Brexit simultaneously acknowledge that we'd cheat, need checks at the British border in Ireland and also understand the objectives of the Good Friday Agreement? It's almost as if he'd never read the Good Friday Agreement. Presumably he had done so before he actually started pontificating as Secretary of State for leaving the European Union. Presumably. Could I just ask you, um, since you had such a critical role as, uh, role as the Brexit Secretary, I presume that in fact you had read the Belfast Agreement. Please don't line up behind the Immigration Minister and tell us that you haven't read the, the agreement. Um, I haven't sit down and started at the beginning and gone through it, yes. but of course at various points in the negotiations, um, when issues have been raised, it has been an important opportunity to delve in to the different aspects, so but very which, carefully. So which aspects of the... So you haven't read the Belfast Agreement in its entirety? I haven't sat down and gone from... I've used it as a reference tool. Gosh. So, no social and economic rights. Looking after disabled and sick people is a childish wish list. People using food banks have got cash flow problems. You would need checks at the Irish border, but we should leave the European Union anyway, which suggests you haven't read the Good Friday Agreement. By the time you become Secretary of State for leaving the European Union, you're pushed into a corner where you have to admit that you hadn't, and I quote properly, even though the words sound wrong, you've never sit down and gone through it. Um, crikey. Any, any sort of positives? We agree to free movement of peoples. It depends what you mean by full access to the single market. I think we would not see any trade barriers go up because we're the fifth biggest economy in the world. Uh, the, um, the European firms sell us £68 billion more in goods and services than we do them. Look at the options being put out there. Swiss, Norwegian, Turkish. I think because Britain's economy is bigger than all of those economies combined and because the French car uh, French farmers, German car manufacturers sell us 68, 68 billion pounds more each year than we sell them, we're very well placed and mutual self-interest suggests we'd cut a very good deal and there's an, it's, it's certainly not in 
the Europeans' interest to erect trade barriers. Wow. I, I mean, seriously now, I, is it possible that he could be more wrong about everything? Even if he woke up every morning and said, today I am determined to be the most wrong person in wrongland. Dominic Raab, just being Dominic Raab, would manage to be even more wrong. Presumably he, he accepted at the time questions and criticisms of his analysis, given that we now know his analysis was completely ridiculous. I think there is a lot of uh, project fear coming out um, almost like a scare story every day. The CBI have said we'd have a high-level ambitious free trade deal. And even the Prime Minister has said it would be scaremongering to suggest otherwise. CBI and indeed the TUC today, of course, have described in apocalyptic terms the no deal that Rob, for reasons I'm yet to fully understand, has suddenly found himself in favour of. Um, I'm not the only one that doesn't understand things. We want a bespoke arrangement on goods which recognises the peculiar, frankly, geographic economic entity that is the United Kingdom. We are, and I haven't quite understood the full extent of this, but if you look at the UK and you look at how we trade in goods, we're particularly reliant on the Dover-Calais crossing. Well, who'd have thought it, eh? And, um... In his defence, as, as he said on Ian Dale's programme the other night, he, he is the kind of person that really speaks up for ordinary working people. Except when he authored a book in 2012 which described British workers as among the worst idlers. I think also just throughout this conversation we've kind of been discussing it as, you know, leader of the Tory party, but of course this person will become the Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. And it's a quite frankly, with uh, with the exception obviously of, of Rory, got Rory, um, a, a quite depressing list of names, to be honest. You know, the number of gaffes, ineptitudes, just bonkers stuff that some of these people come out with. I mean, Christ, Esther McVeigh. Just Esther McVeigh. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, the, the latest thing uh, surrounding the, well, I don't really see it as a controversial subject at all, but education of LGBT relationships for, for primary school children mm. and, you know, educating about these things at an early stage. And she's basically there saying that, you know, parents should have the final say. And I did like some of the, uh, you know, the, the comeback on Twitter about, you know, is it absolutely necessary that my children have to know about Esther McVeigh or be taught about her? <laughs> <laughs> we got Ledsome as well. Again, another no deal will be fine person. It's not as bad as people said it was going to be. Great. Can it be better? Charlatans. They're yeah. all charlatans. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're all charlatans. That's the thing that unites them is um, uh, Rob doesn't tell the truth and quite evidently doesn't know about the actual consequences of the things that he's espousing, nor does Boris, nor does Ledson, nor does Malthouse. The whole Malthouse compromise that's gone round. Like the entire problem with the Malthouse Compromise is it proposes some alternative to the Northern Irish backstop, which doesn't actually exist, because it proposes this technological border solution, which doesn't exist, because the European Union did a 70-page report on it where they analysed all the possibilities for the Irish border, and they concluded that there isn't one where you can't, you can do checks across the border without any infrastructure whatsoever. So they're just, they're just proposing um, bunkum 
And yeah. it's fine, Aaron. According to uh, to estimate Bay on Sophie Ridge the other day, it'll be fine. They'll sort something out. So oh, great. You you don't worry about it. Thank. Oh no, I I will stop there, there, Esther. Thank yeah. you for putting my mind at rest. Stick your fingers in your ears and kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so con- conclusions. What what do we think about the the future? I can't believe I'm saying this. The future Prime Minister of the United <laughs> Kingdom. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on that um, note, <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd be I'd be worried. Um, you know, I mean, let's let's assume that the the, the likelihood is that it's going to be Boris Johnson. Yeah. I am very worried about a man who I, I don't know I mean it's not for me to comment on someone's personal life but I feel like if you're willing to lie to your wife about the fact that you're having an affair then you'll find it a lot easier to lie to the entire country and he has a track record of doing so and you know the the lies in the Brexit debate 350 million pounds the NHS irrespective of court proceedings it just wasn't true was it I mean the National Statistics Authority has described it as misleading so it's it's not a it's not a controversial statement, but not only did he back that during the campaign, even like a year afterwards, he wrote a Telegraph article where he's still talking about it. And it's like, we do not, we do not send £350 million a week to the European Union. Stop saying it. It's not true. And I'm deeply concerned by the fact that the Prime Minister would be elected who, who it's not just, you know, avoidance of awkward truths. It's outright falsehoods in the same way that Trump does that and Farage and Boris are good guys so the whole just as a quick aside Trump endorsing Johnson Farage's good guys and throwing his weight in I mean can you imagine if that was reversed if uh, if Theresa May had gone over to visit Trump and had said I'm just gonna meet Hillary and I'm gonna go and meet you know a few of these uh, John McCain we'll go and, we're gonna have a chat with him you know back when I mean Surely it's not on for Trump to come over and just like throw his weight around in this manner and influence our democracy. Well, that out there. Yes, yes, James, you're right. It is not it's on. Not, not cricket. Um, <laughs> it's just no. It's just not how we do things. <laughs> Very polite way of saying it. Isn't um, isn't next week going to be awful? By the way, because we're yeah. going to have to put up with a week of news coverage about a Tory leadership and B. Donald Trump being in the country and see yes. either Liverpool or Tottenham fans <laughs> gloating that they won the Champions League <laughs> I might just end it all this afternoon it's, it's fine though, good. the Cricket World Cup song it's great, come on we can yeah. just get behind that yeah. Cricket worse than Bearstow being bowled out on the second ball can it? I don't know I think it probably could. <laughs> I mean, technically, technically, it could be the first ball. To be fair, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are right. Technically, it could be worse. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll uh, we'll draw today's episode to a close. Uh, thanks again, gents, for your for your thoughts, your comments today. Um, really good pod. And thank you to everyone who has listened and has been listening for a few weeks now. Uh, we'd really appreciate if you could spread the word, either give us a retweet or a share on social media, or even better, tell your colleagues, tell your family, tell your friends about our podcast and our little corner of the internet. We'd be really, really appreciative. So from all of us at the £1.92 Committee podcast, it's goodbye and we look forward to the next one. 
You can now also find us on social media. We're available via Twitter at 192committee. That's at 192committee, as well as Facebook and Instagram. So follow us and share our stuff.